the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Dennis and Julie. It's stupid for me to say, but I'm Dennis. <laughs> really, you are. I am Dennis in huh. Dennis and Julie. Oh, uh, well, that's the beauty of spontaneity. This is a very rare thing in the in the world of podcasts. It's not that rare that people will have a buddy, as it were, or a co-host. It, well, most people do it alone. But people do have co-hosts. I've never had a co-host in my life in 40 years of broadcasting. And it gives you an idea of how highly I think of Julie. I'm sort of crazy about her. She's a find. She's a blessing. And I think you should know that that our bond goes beyond the uh, the show. My wife feels the same. So anyway, it's a very special thing, and Julie is very special. You don't even have to react, Julie. I just, I just, I'm opening up about the human element of of the Dennis and Julie podcast. So, Julie has something in mind, and she asked me, "Would I like to know what it is?" And I said, "No, because then I can't say honestly. I have no idea what Julie is going to raise." And I need to be honest with you. But first, a uh, word on what's on my mind for a moment. So, Julie, on my show, I was I played uh, Jen Saki, the uh, the press uh, press officer. What is the what is the word? Press secretary. Press secretary. Yeah, yeah. It's thinking in European terms. The press secretary of the president of the United States. And she has a podcast, apparently, and she started to cry, literally cry. Oh, she was on a podcast. I didn't, it didn't make sense to me. Okay, she was on a podcast. Very good. And she started to cry. And I believe these were genuine tears. And, and it actually was a revelation to me. Why was she crying? Because Republicans hate children and are ruining children and are bullying LGBTQI children because we don't want sex in general and non-binary teachings for kindergartners to third graders. And cruel uh, to a community of kids, especially. I'm, I'm like going to get, emo- uh, I'm going to get emotional about this issue because I just, it's horrible, but uh but, you know, it's, right. it's like kids So she, she started to weep. We're bullies. So we're bullying. Like all these leaders are, right. are taking steps. So, so Julie, this was, a, this was a an epiphany moment for me because I have asked all of my life, do, do people on the, on the left, I don't mean liberals, I mean leftists, 
do they believe what they say? That America is systemically racist, that men give birth. Do they really believe this stuff? And now I think they, I, I now believe they do. She really believes that if we want to protect kids from premature sexualization, we're bullying kids. So this was, uh, as I say, it was sort of revelatory to me. And it, it's, it's a real problem that people believe this stuff, but I think they do. So I just thought I'd share that with you. You know, Dennis, that reaction is very concerning. And I have to tell you that I see around me a lot of people um, reacting to things in a disproportionate way with how they should. And I think that has to do with the fact that people, especially on the left, don't understand real evil. They don't have the wisdom to be able to identify when something is real evil. And so I think a lot of the times they identify conservatives as their enemies, as opposed to actual real everyday injustices. And here we see an example. It's very unfortunate that someone like our president's press secretary thinks that a major political party in this country is trying to silence or undermine LGBTQ children. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Anyone who takes two minutes to understand the issue can see that it's about preserving children's innocence. And so it's very concerning to see that reaction, but I hear your point. Unfortunately, I think that they really do believe it, that we are evil. If I quizzed 100 random students at Harvard, where you are now, Mm -hmm. obviously, uh, if I quizzed them, do you think it's a good idea to talk to kindergartners, for teachers to talk to kindergartners about they're not necessarily being a boy or a girl and they will choose that? Do you think that they would, most of them would say that's a good idea? That it's a good idea to, to, to teach For a teacher kids. to say that you are not necessarily a boy or a girl. Yes, I think most would say that it is a good idea to teach that. And they would say that, again, circling back to this, they would say that you're, you're evil if you're not teaching that and that you're bigoted and you're trying to silence. Mm-hmm. I hear this all the time. You're trying to silence different identities. And again, it goes back to this idea that They don't have a lot of wisdom about the world and they can't identify true evil. So they look at conservatives and things that they disagree with and that's what they identify as evil. When you don't fight real evils, you you fight make-believe evils. That's exactly, that's been one of my mottos. So what's on your mind? I'm really curious now since I I said earlier, don't tell me. Now I really want to know. Well, it's so interesting, Dennis, and this is why I think that we work so well together on this podcast and why, as you mentioned at the beginning, why we're so close. What you just said dovetails so nicely into the topic that I wanted to bring up. Today marks the one mark, one mark, one month, excuse me, Mark, for when I'm graduating from college. It's a month from today. And I've been doing a lot of reflecting on who I am and how I've changed. And this through this reflection, I've realized what a profoundly beneficial impact finding conservatism has had on me and on my development and maturity. And that's what I want to discuss today. I want to discuss the strengths of conservatism, not so much in regards to specific policy positions, but sort of as a mindset. And what you just identified, Dennis, it's so crazy. I was just about to bring up that One of the best things I think I've gotten out of becoming a conservative and that I'm carrying with me into my life 
is that I've understood the hard truths of life. I've understood that life is nuanced and that there are some just hard truths about the world that I wish were different. But through conservatism, we sort of look at the world as it really is, not how it ought to be. And part of conservatism is understanding what real evil is and what's worth fighting on and what's not worth fighting on and that things aren't black and white. And so this this recording that you just brought up, again, dovetails very nicely because it shows that people on the left have such a black and white view of the world. And conservatism has shown me that, look, I would love for it to be the case that children could learn about mature things from an early age, but it's not, it's not that case. And actually, maybe I shouldn't say that I would love for it to be that case. It shouldn't be the case. I think it's okay for us to preserve um, innocence in young people. And those are things that they can encounter as they get older. And again, it's that wisdom, the nuances of the world that I've gotten through being a conservative. And as I'm graduating, yes, of course, that's enriched me by helping me identify which policy positions to support. But it's also greatly enriched me as a person in my maturity. And the other thing I'll say, and there are, we can have a great discussion about it, because there are so many different ways that conservatism has contributed to my development. But I think another thing is, and it's related to this point, conservatism has taught me to view the world from a perspective of identifying values and principles. I want to tell you about a fantastic product, Eden Pure's Thunderstorm Air Purifiers. They use proven oxy technology that quickly destroys viruses, odors, mold, and more. With over 200,000 already sold, you know it works. Any odor will disappear when you use the, the thunderstorm. Get rid of odors from litter boxes, trash cans, cigarette smoke, dirty diapers, and more. Right now, you can save $200 on an Eden Pure Thunderstorm 3-pack for whole home protection. You will get three units for under $200. That's a fraction of the cost compared to other air purifiers that can go for over $600. Go to EdenPureDeals.com and put in my personal discount code, Julie3, to save $200. That's EdenPureDeals.com with the discount code Julie3. And by the way, shipping is free. And on the left, I, I remember when I was a liberal, when I was younger, I could have one policy view one day and then I could have another opinion the next day. And anything was kind of justified because you're a progressive and you can go, oh, well, I changed and that's part of progress. But when you're a conservative, you're focusing on what you want to conserve. And for us, we want to conserve the principles of the American founding. And that's a very helpful framework to view the world, identifying your values, identifying your principles, of course, leaving room for change and for judgment, but going based off of that. And again, I just feel so blessed to enter the world and graduate from college with this mindset. I, I think it's just enriched me hugely. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I, I think it's a great uh, great thing you said. It's a great topic. It, it makes me think you, sh you should consider writing a book on uh, something to the effect how becoming conservative. You can't do this in a title because the, the word I'm about to use is so unsexy. Matured me. So you couldn't use that. But it would be about that. Becoming a conservative made me grow up. 
That's really what you're saying. Is that fair to say? Absolutely, yes. So this is my, my theory. One of my theories about leftism is that it is a desire to remain a child and, and and it's very it's particularly backwards because they want children to be adults and they want adults to be children so they're prepared to talk sex to little kids but the as an adult they really don't want to grow up they don't want to take many not all many don't want to take the responsibility of marriage and certainly not children it's the, the least marrying generation in American history, the least amount of children in American history born to born to this generation. But it, it is generally not a desire to grow up. You want to live in a make-believe world that children have. Defund the police is a make-believe world. It, it takes, as, as odd as it sounds, it's, apparently it takes a certain degree of maturity to recognize more police, less crime. I have a six-year-old grandchild. I have no doubt if I said to him, Jack, that's his name, hey, Jack, do you think there would be more bad things happen if we had fewer police or more police? I have a strong suspicion that he would say more police and less or fewer bad things would happen. uh, But it's a painful thought because you want to believe in this fantasy that, oh, with enough social workers reaching out with love, we uh, we will have less rape and less murder and less beatings. But it it, it really does. That's the way it works. Right, and and that's the point. That's why I agree with you. It's about growing up. It is. It's totally about growing up. I think another thing that I've taken away from conservatism is that, it, and it's related to this point that you just made, we judge people on results, not on their intentions. And it's just so fascinating because I look at the left, and you just brought up defund the police, and, you know, they – Sometimes I'll talk to people and I'll go, look at what a disaster this movement has produced. Look at how, I mean, so many of these American cities have so much crime. Every day you hear about a new horrible atrocity. There was just a a woman biking in, um, in Boston just about 10 minutes from my dorm. And I think that she was thrown off her bicycle or stabbed or something egregious. I read it a few days ago. And I always, excuse me. I always have my peers respond, oh, well, you know, it's based off of good intentions. It comes from a place of, you know, the people who are advocating for defund the police. They just want the best. They're just trying to find a different solution. And I go, I don't care. Look, would we say that to a doctor? Let's say a doctor had good intentions, but he accidentally killed someone in surgery. We would judge that person based on their results and go, okay, maybe they, we need to reconsider if they should have a medical license. You know, similarly, let's look at an engineer. Does an engineer have a right to build a bridge that collapses and is not very well built because he has good intentions? Of course not. So why do we have this idea of intentions over results in the political arena of our lives, but then we would never apply it to other arenas? It's it's really backwards. I want to tell you something. <laughs> 
I have talked about the intentions, good intentions being worthless all of my life. And I think your analogy to the engineer and the doctor is the best example. I think that was terrific. We don't say that, do we? The bridge collapsed. We're not going to hold the engineer responsible. He had good intentions. Right. So when society collapses and the left, left wing people, many of whom do have good intentions, they excuse themselves. There is a direct correlation between defunding the police and, by the way, not just defunding the police, demoralizing the police. Do you know that about 23 unarmed blacks were killed in any given recent year in the entire country in the entire year by all policemen, about 23 Yes, by the way, Dennis, I just want to cut in that fact, learning about how few unarmed blacks are killed a year by police. That is the single fact that made me a conservative. It's because I it was back in um, May of 2020 when um, right after the George Floyd incident happened and, you know, there are all these riots and protests. And the first PragerU video I ever watched had to do with policing. And I think it, maybe it was Larry Elder. I forget who who um, was the speaker in the five minute video, but someone brought that fact to the to the fore, and that is the thing that changed me. Because the way that the media was making it seem, they made it seem that three thousand unarmed blacks were killed. I, I mean, it's just That's unbelievable. Right. I That's actually, right. would, I would ask people. I do this thing. It's very interesting. I go around to people and I say, "How many unarmed blacks do you think are killed a year by police?" Mm-hmm. And of course, this is anecdotal evidence. But I'm telling you, Dennis, I don't think I've I think the lowest answer I've ever gotten is 600. That's crazy. right. That's correct. More. I'm sorry, on go our, on with your point. No, I no, uh, I, I was. It's perfect that you took off on that. But I, I was I was simply saying what kind of mindset would even think that you could defund and demoralize police? Why would one want to be a policeman today? When every elite institution, from your college to uh, to the American Medical Association, la- labels police racist, why why would you want to be hated? Why would you want to be targeted for death? More policemen have been dying in the last couple of years than than in any given year before. So, but it does it doesn't matter to them. The people living in gated communities are much more for defunding the police than the people who live in poorest communities. So, exactly. so much, so much, but so much for the, anyway, we, this is all a discussion on the, on the good intentions issue. I'll, I'll give you another example that I, that I, uh, your engineer thing I love and, and will cite you when I, when I quote it in, in my own talks. Uh, but you, Every university is an example. Why are university professors overwhelmingly on the left? There are many reasons, but here's one. It's the only place in life where if you think wrong, there are no consequences. If you run a small business and think wrong, you go out of business. If you run anything and think wrong, you go out of business. But no matter how cockamamie your idea is as a college professor, in fact, the more cockamamie, the more likely you are to remain employed. 
So there are no consequences to stupid ideas on a campus. Well, exactly. To your point, I've long thought that one of the biggest reasons why progressivism has a home on college campuses is because here there's such an emphasis on original thought as opposed to clear thought. I even find this when I write papers. Sometimes I go to my professors or I'm talking with my friends and I'm so focused on finding the original take on something. But guess what, Dennis? People have been writing about Jane Eyre for decades and decades and decades. I don't know if Julie Hartman can provide an original take on some of these books or, you know, issues that we discuss in class. I'm Julie Hartman. As some of you may know, I'm finishing up my degree at Harvard right now, and I'm very proud of that accomplishment. But I want to tell you about another great college. The King's College is a Christian liberal arts college in New York City's financial district, providing a disciplined curriculum with a Christian worldview, both in person and online. The King's College has majors in business, finance, politics, journalism, media, religion, and more. Every program is rooted within a politics, philosophy, and economics core curriculum, which provides students with a framework for understanding the way the world works and how it's influenced. Because of this, King's graduates are well-rounded, critical thinkers. King's faculty pride themselves in not sharing their opinions on topics, but instead teaching the historical context that roots the issues of the day. They like to say that students come to King's to earn their opinion. They don't teach them what to think, but how to think. Find out how you can attend the King's College in person or online by visiting tkc.edu. That's tkc.edu. Go online today. So again, being a progressive and always trying to find the new take, how you can change things, to use their favorite word, reimagine things, that's rewarded and encouraged on a campus like this. And not only is it rewarded and encouraged, it's penalized if you don't do it. Got another truism. You, you mentioned earlier conservatism wants to conserve. As, uh, as an adult, I can say I regard my role and I regarded it as a parent and now as a grandparent and indeed as a, 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 a father figure to a lot of people. My primary task is to conserve the greatest ideas, the greatest music, the greatest art, the greatest architecture, the greatest philosophy, the greatest literature, and give this as a gift to the next generation. It is not my task to give them an original piece of literature. If I can come up with something awesome, terrific, but I can't. I have no, I have no intent to. Why am I devoting so much time to explaining the Bible? I'm doing it because I, am, I, am, I want to give over this gift of the greatest book ever written. That's what my, I believe. If you believe there's a greater book being written today, great. More power to you, but I don't. So I, I don't feel I need to make an original, I mean, I think I have some original insights into the Bible, but the Bible is the book that I'm explaining. We haven't given this gift of the greatest anything to your generation, none of it. it, 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 right. it if, if it's old and it's, and it's dead white European males, they took down Shakespeare's poster at the Department of English at, at another Ivy League college, the University of Pennsylvania. Oh, God. Right? Oh, God. They took down, they, 
So why? Because he because they said because he was a white European male. But th- that's not the issue. The only issue is that he write the greatest plays. We haven't given you. We haven't given your generation the gift. My, I was given this gift. I read great stuff from the past. I read the Bible. I was given these gifts. My generation deprived your generation of these gifts. Well, one of I remember when I was little. You know, as you're growing up, you're trying to just understand the world more and more day by day. And I remember I would look at things and go, "Well, why does you know why do we do it that way?" Even things like, you know, I know it probably sounds so stupid, but like, why do we draw dotted lines in the middle of the road to signal the difference between lanes? Or why do we have, you know, why why does our system of government have three separate tiers? You know, and I just asked myself these questions. And I remember from a very young age thinking, you know, they must work. There must be a reason why they're in place. People have been around for thousands and thousands of years. Of course, America, you know, has been along for a lot shorter amount of time than that. But there's a reason why this country is the freest, most prosperous, best country in the entire world. It's because these things work. And of course, that doesn't mean that they're perfect or that they can't be improved or changed when necessary. But I just wish I could wake the people up around me and go, there's a reason for all of this. And as much as you want to try to reimagine and changing it, I, I think I, I was reading the other day that Hillary Clinton said sometimes doing something different is better than doing nothing at all. And I completely disagree with that. Oh, my God. That's a, really? That's a gem you, yes. you dug up. Or I think he said oh, send it to doing me. something <laughs> is better than doing nothing at no, all. No. Yeah. That's that's I why they, they, they always judge uh, a – a session of Congress by how many bills they passed, and uh, you know they and the ones that don't they call do nothing president or a do nothing Congress, and I'm thinking, I know. gee, maybe that's the best president or the best Congress. <laughs> by the way, there, you, some... you you forgive me because I'm going to forget this. You no, said something about yes, you added when talking about the dotted line and talking about America and, you know, it's made the freest country, said the most prosperous, correct at both counts. And it said, of course, it's not perfect. So that triggered, to use their word, it triggered in me <laughs> another argument for the childish nature of leftism. And it is the notion that the imperfect is awful or I expect X or Y to be perfect. Every child expects a parent to be perfect. It is shattering when you realize your father or mother, or really, and mother, neither is perfect. And then you either grow up and go, well, no human is, but generally speaking, in the balance, my parents are pretty damn good, with all, with all their flaws, but I and I don't expect perfection. The child who continues to be angry at the imperfect parent—I'm not talking about a, a truly abusive parent—but the imperfect parent remains a child. That is the vision of our parents, the founders of this country, the fathers of the country. They're our parents. Well, they weren't perfect; they had slaves. Therefore, the fact that they created a society that destroyed slavery 
and that created a country that more blacks want to move to than any other on the face of the earth is irrelevant because they were not perfect. That is such an excellent point. You are so right about that, how people view the imperfect is always inherently bad. You know, I was even thinking about that the other day with regards to challenges in people's lives. I think it was our last episode when I talked about my sister with autism. And of course, sometimes I wake up and I go, why did this have to happen to her? Why did this have to happen to me, to our family? It's caused all of us so much pain. But there is something that has been beneficial to me, of course, about having a sibling with autism, because I view challenges in life as sort of cosmic or metaphysical resistance training, because there are, th- there are things that I would encounter in life that would break me if I didn't have an autistic sister. But because I've encountered so many challenges with her, there are things that come up in my life and I go, please, that's nothing. I can handle that. I've handled a lot worse. So again, there is um, there is something so beneficial about the the bad things in life and about the imperfect things. And again, it's such it's such a um, such a Julie, great example. Julie, because- I, I I so agree with you that I actually raised on one of my happiness hours, the hour mm-hmm. of my radio show done for over twenty years on Fridays. I've raised this question, and I really don't have an answer to it. I wonder how much of a blessing a very happy childhood is. Yes. <laughs> I know it sounds almost really sick, but I, I mean no. it sincerely. Because it's like if you never encounter germs, you have no antibodies. Right. That's a great, that's a great analogy. You're so right about that, Dennis. Folks, I want to tell you about 2,000 Mules, the movie by Dinesh D'Souza that is coming out about the 2020 election and the question of whether it was honestly counted, the ballots were honestly counted or not. You will see film of people stuffing ballot boxes at 3 a.m., same person, all over cities. You will see many examples of it. It's, it's never seen before video. So you should go to 2000mules.com, and there will be a button to go to the in-theater, that is, see it with other people at a theater, and buttons to all the other methods of purchase of the film. The only nights the film will be in theaters are Monday, May 2, and Wednesday, May 4. If you want to see it on the big screen with a a crowd of like-minded people, uh, that is the great way to do it. These are your two days to do it. Seats are extremely limited. The first way to watch the film will be in theaters. If you want to be the first to experience it, see it in the theaters. These theater events are so exclusive, people who attend will be seeing the film even before the attendees of the red carpet premiere in Mar-a-Lago, where I will be. By the way, I am in the film, just for your interest. Again, go to 2000mules.com. And I think, you know, again, this is a point that I brought up a few uh, episodes ago. I think the biggest problem in America, I think the singular greatest cause of all of the craziness that we see today is that we have benefited from too much prosperity. Frankly, life has been too good for us. And it sounds sick. Like, I don't wish that we would encounter tragedy. I don't wish that something we would have 
freedom of speech suspended or a tyrannical government. Of course, I don't want that. But it is just it is a consequence of prosperity that that we become ungrateful and we take these things for granted and we get these sort of delusional ideas that what we're seeing now that we can bring a utopia on Earth. And so, yes, I agree that sometimes having a, a very prosperous or uh, ideal upbringing or living in a prosperous and ideal society actually can harm you and it can bring about things that undermine that very system that you've benefited well, I'll, from. I'll, 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 give another, I'll give another proof uh, of, of the, 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 the terrible challenge of ease. Uh, I always felt, even at your age, I actually remember thinking I grew up in the perfect economic circumstance. We wanted for nothing, but we were truly middle class. And I thought about, now now I'm certain of it, then I thought it. Kids who inherit or, or grow up with super rich parents, that is a curse. I'm not sure who's cursed more, children of billionaires or children of poor parents. And, and I, I, I think a great case could be made that the children of the billionaire have it harder. What, what do you work for? If the stuff right. comes to you without working, why work? And, but, and without working, if there's no challenge... It's 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 your theory here and my theory, the germs theory. You probably are there kids you know at Harvard who grew up with super wealthy parents, or it's not that common. Oh, of course. Oh, they're everywhere. I I agree with your assessment, Dennis. You know, I think also the children of billionaires. It's unfortunate, but I think they just do go throughout their whole life thinking. I don't deserve anything I've gotten or anything I've gotten is because I have money. And in some cases, that's not true. I I actually have a person in mind whose family is extremely wealthy and she's one of the nicest, most hardworking individuals I've met. Now, I will tell you that the other children of billionaires at the school are total blankety blanks, but this, this girl's an anomaly. But I know that hangs over her, that she feels like no matter how hard she works, she still has this idea and she knows that a lot of what she's gotten in life is through her family and through money. And again, you know, I know it's, it sounds weird to say that I feel bad for her, but in a way I do. Yes, that must oh, be I a do. difficult mindset to have going through your life. Yes. And even, even though she's hardworking, there's probably still a realization, even if I fail, my, mm-hmm. I will get support from home. I didn't have right. that. I never had that for a moment. I, I remember <laughs> I won an award in my second year at college to, to all expense paid year abroad junior year. They gave it to one sophomore, and it was the beginning of my life. It, it made everything possible. It was, a, it was a great year. I went to England and to the Soviet Union and so on. And uh, I, I remember my father saying to me, I'm glad you won that award because I certainly wouldn't have paid for you for a year abroad. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I and I and that's really the way it was. Uh, it, it, my, I had an allowance when I was in high school, 
My father was very, very generous. Every month I got $20 to buy uh, my classical records. I was crazy about music at a very early age. And that was it. That was all the money I got from my parents. My allowance and $20 a month for records. <laughs> so uh, I didn't have... I had I had the notion, Dennis. You better work hard, or you won't have anything. Right. Totally. And, and the well, these are these are all realizations I've had thanks to you. And again, I I know it sounds corny, but even just this conversation makes me feel better about graduating and who I am and the kind of person that I'm leaving this college as, because I just feel that I have a much deeper understanding of the way that the world works. Um, and that, and that really is in large part, thanks to conservatism. It's, it's really not just a set of policy positions. It's a mindset. It's almost a disposition. God, this is really important stuff. I do think you should uh, jot notes periodically on how conservatism has affected you. I think coming, I think I I know it has, and that's, that's exactly why I'm suggesting this. I think it would be a powerful book uh, at, at your age, what it's done for me. Because the, the general assessment is it keeps you stupid, it, ke- it keeps you bigoted, it keeps you intolerant, it keeps you unintellectual, and it, it's all an excuse not to confront what we believe or what we say seriously. But it, it is... To use a word, I, I said to you earlier that it's this least sexy word, mature. When I was a kid, you know, basically that's that's what you were supposed to be. You were supposed to mature. I, I can't, I, I don't even, I wonder if the word is even used in your generation. It's just. I, Very I, seldom. <laughs> yeah, I would imagine. It, 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 it's not a goal. Exactly. It's not a goal. So we'll wrap this up. I'm very curious. If I did say to your classmates randomly, so what is your goal in life? What do you think most would say? I think they would say to be happy. Yeah, that's what I would think. But I think, yeah, they they would definitely say to be happy, but I think that they're – the problem there is that their understanding of what happiness constitutes is pretty flawed. I think they would see it as having a lot of money, a house in the Hamptons, a fancy uh, degree from another, you know, Ivy League institution, working at a, a prestigious consulting firm or, um, you know, Goldman Sachs or something. That's it's not so much the the immediate answer, but it's their view of what happiness uh, that's, is. That's the that's problem. Right. And how to get there. It's the same thing, but I'm just putting it in different words. And right. as, the, as the Declaration of Independence says, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's, that's what the government is there to protect. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Not happiness. The pursuit. Well, I am infinitely happier as a result of being a conservative. And obviously, I am infinitely happier having you in my life, Dennis. I mean, what you said at the beginning, I want everyone to know is true. We really, it's so unique what we have, because I think that, and of course, our Jew, our viewers, excuse me, are the judge of this. I think we have such a great um, professional relationship and a great rapport, but we're so close to 
-hmm. outside of this. And I feel like I can talk to you about anything and you, you've really just become a member of my family. And I just, I mean, how lucky am I? I enter this career where all day I get to talk about issues that fascinate me with one of the greatest minds out there. And he's my best friend on top of it. I can just smile. It is special and we're both lucky. Anyway, folks, I would uh, suggest and ask you to send the Dennis and Julie link to your friends, especially young people, because they'll hear stuff that they never hear, and one of them is their age or even younger. Um, In that regard, I'll just add, I do remember thinking, again, I remember well, Uh, being your age, and I remember thinking, I didn't really give a damn about the age of anybody as long as what they said made sense. Right. I I didn't take people my age more seriously than old people, and I didn't take old people necessarily more seriously than people my age. So anyway, Dennis and Julie podcast. Julie, thanks. Great to be with you. And yes, how to reach you. Yes, please email me at julie-hartman.com. That's my website. We've heard from a lot of you, and I respond to my mail from the both of us. Thanks so much for listening. See you soon. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.